And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Jeez! He's round the goalkeeper! He's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Oh, I say! It's amazing! He does it tame and tame and tame again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Pre-season woe, transfer window frustration, a want-away star, opening day deflation, getting dumped out of the Carabao Cup and losing the dressing room. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés and part one of the 12 stages of a club crisis. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 92 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me for these crisis talks are first of all, the man who follows crisis wherever it goes. It's Jack Pitbrook. How are you doing? I'm looking forward to this podcast so much. I've been thinking about it all morning. It's going to be great fun. Well, the thing about football crises and I wanted to ask you this first I feel like they're the most sustainable form of football story because good times never last transfer stories as we are as we all know are kind of just vacuous and matches nobody really cares about those beyond say Monday lunchtime so I feel like crises are the, are the gift that keeps on giving like they never stop really a, a crisis yeah crises define the form of the season you know you don't come out of a season and think I love this season because I enjoyed watching these four teams but you do think this is the team you know Arsenal had a crisis Everton had a crisis Villa had a crisis Newcastle had a crisis, Leeds had a crisis, West Brom had a crisis, and you maybe this just makes you sound like a really negative person, but it's the cri- it's the crises that get you up in the morning, and it's the crises <laughs> that you they're the last thing you think about before you go to sleep, Adam, and the first thing you think about in the morning. Good, good. That's exactly why you're here. Thank God. Alongside you for his football cliches debut, the man who adds a zero to the listening figures wherever he goes. It's Phil Hay. Thank you for having me on, guys. It's an Sam, Sam Lee and I always joke with each other that we don't think we're funny enough to um to get on this show. Has, has Sam ever been on this? He has, back in the dark days oh, of early lockdown. Yeah. I was yeah. gonna I was gonna troll him a little bit later on. Crises are I, I think of them as my specialist subject. I, I always think that Chilino never phones you at two o'clock in the morning because they've beaten Barnsley two 0 at home. <laughs> it's because he's about to it's because he's about to bullet David Hockaday or whoever's next. Oh oh god what a phone call that must be. But I mean, given your extensive knowledge of all forms of football in crisis, I put it to you that the threshold for a crisis is lower than ever. I mean, that's our fault to an extent, the media. But I, yeah, I just, I just feel it doesn't take much anymore. Well, there was a story this morning that Gillingham have had to cancel a Whitney Houston tribute act because of international <laughs> call-ups. And I, I think that probably counts these days, don't you Yeah, think? definitely. What, are you, what, what do we crack then? Like a, a Whitney Houston poster? Yeah, what gets cracked on, on... Great yeah. idea. Keep an eye on the mail online. Yes, exactly. The masters. Yeah. yeah, the masters of the badge crack. <laughs> um, we have 12 stages of a club crisis to get through here. I think I've identified 
the levels that we have to go through for a full club crisis. So we start chronologically, really, with pre-season woe, Jack. Because pre-season is where the seeds of a club crisis are sown, I feel. Specifically, losing to some no marks really does open these wounds. I've drawn a lot of my examples from what I think is the Ur crisis of... And genuine, genuinely, the the best story in the history of the Premier League, okay. and that and and that is the Mari- what Antonio Conte famously called the Mourinho season, mm. the Chelsea crisis from August to December 2015, where the reigning Premier League champions almost got themselves relegated and had to sack Mur- Mourinho. Like I, we've come close with Man United and Tottenham since; it's never ever been as good. This yeah. is the original and the best crisis, and of course, it all started in pre-season. Chelsea mm. famously lost to New York Red Bulls. In July, which is absolute fodder for kind of there was a moment when look back pieces, uh, and also there was an argument about the length and timing of the preseason, which of course is classic. Like the the roots of this problem started all the way back in June when Mourinho gave players an extra week's holiday and one fewer friendly, and it's it's the kind of bullshit thing that doesn't really explain what happened at all, but people can understand it, so they think it's. They think that this point about the timing of the preseason is the real story. Right then, Phil. So preseason is where a certain malaise can set in, as Jack suggests. But certain frictions can kind of become more apparent there. But I feel like things can be sparked in preseason, and that requires an incident. The first thing that I think of in a preseason incident is Dennis Wise breaking Callum Davidson's cheekbone on a Leicester preseason tour of Finland after, and I quote, a stormy card game. Stormy card game. I, st- I, I had the, the delight of uh, Dennis Wise for about a year and a yes. bit, and I can imagine a stormy card game with him, and I, I can imagine <laughs> it finishing in incredibly well. I mean, you've never seen fear in somebody's eyes until you've seen Simon Grayson's Leeds lose 4-0 at Berry on a Tuesday, <laughs> Tuesday night. But you see, if you've got anything about you in pre-season, you do what Leeds did in 2014, and that was the summer where David Hockaday was using a river as a surrogate ice bath, so he had the players sitting in it. But basically, they, they went over to Italy, and they managed to find the archetypal bunch of farmers, FC Gardena, and they beat right. them 16 nil. Um, and then 60? 16-0. 16-0, although I think... Oh, okay, I Jesus. Think, I think 60 was doable if they hadn't used <laughs> off in the second half. Um, and then, owing to contractual issues, inevitably, um, the team they were supposed to play from Romania didn't turn up. So they played each other. They played themselves. Leeds played themselves in, in the second friendly, which meant that they were able to return home gloriously undefeated <laughs> um, and able to brush over the fact that at one point they hadn't paid for the training facilities and woke up to a sign saying, you're no longer allowed to use these in the hotel. Um, so that's the, way to, that's the way to do it if you've got a, a crisis brewing. Um, but yeah, breaking somebody's jaw, good sign. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's that's more than enough to spark a crisis. Um, out of interest, has it, have either of you ever been to Lamanga? No, no. Doesn't strike me as either your kind of scene, I have to say. But um, No, I, I feel, though, that as a football writer, you should be there at least once in your career. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, right of passage. Yeah, yeah it's like, even, like Mecca. Even if, even if it's just for, like, warm weather training, you know, if they don't bother playing any games and they just head out head out at night yeah you go any day you go to La Manga any day between about start of June end of July Jack there's a chance that you will witness some sort of pre-season incident involving Premier League players it's the epicentre of this I imagine that it's um, it's one of those things that's been kind of pushed down the football ladder basically because now you know the big teams are off for International Champions Cup or they're in Australia or yeah. Barclay, the Barclays Asia Trophy yes and now I imagine <laughs> that kind you know what I've considered to be the traditional 1990s 
pre-season trip is probably now more of a, or at least pre-COVID, would have been more of a sort of championship thing. You know, warm weather training in the Austrian Alps, that sort of thing, with the big piss up at the end. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, the Alps. Why, why are they so obsessed with Swiss and Austrian training camps? Is it just because they're really boring places, Phil? Is that? But, but, but the Alps, it suggests a bit of tourism or a bit of, you know, kind of cultural intent. I think the thing about, you know, when you head to the Balearics or anywhere like that, you'd, you're just going for the Blue Wicked, aren't you? Mm, Blue Wicked definitely. and the Paparazzi. Absolutely. Which be. Yeah, I think all those trips I took to uh, Baden Baden, I should have swapped one out for La Manga just to just to mix it up. Okay, so preseason set the scene. As I say, the wheels are in motion for our club crisis. We move on to stage two, which I think is becoming an increasing obsession in modern football, Jack, and that is recruitment slash transfer window frustration. Managers seem to be losing control of, of this side of things and they get very frustrated by the targets they've identified not being secured. I, 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 it's palpable frustration, I sense. It is palpable frustration. I was thinking really hard about uh, examples of this and I'm afraid to say all the examples I came up with involved Jose Mourinho. Fine. <laughs> There's summer 2007 at Chelsea. Didn't, I think he wanted to hit some ludicrous list with like uh, Xavi, Eto. And basically all, all the best players in the world at that point and uh, didn't land any of them. Summer 2015 at Chelsea, didn't get John Stones, Paul Pogba, Raphael Varane, did get Baba Rahman and Papi Gilabodji. Uh, summer nice. 2018 at Man United, didn't get Toby Alderweireld. Summer 2020 at Tottenham, didn't get Milan Skriniar. And then he just has this big sulk on for all of the next season. It's, oh, if, if only I had some good players. If only I had some good players. <laughs> yes. We should have got Mourinho on this. Maybe Chilino as well. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I know you've got their number, so surely that would have happened. But Dale, um, Dale them up, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Papi Gilabodji, Jack, was very much the emblem of a frustrated transfer window, I, I sense. But that leads on inevitably, Phil, to a manager sending a message to the board. Um, oh, yes. And I feel like this always happens in theory, or, or it's kind of presumed to be the case when it happens. But what? how does that manifest itself when a manager sends a message to the board with his team selection? Well, one of two things tends to happen. Um, either the manager tries to send a message to the board or he tries to toe the party line. And I always think that you know that things are getting out of hand on the recruitment front when you hear phrases like irons in the fire and we'll only sign the right players and things like they, they need to be better than what we've got after you finish 15th in the championship, that incredibly high bar. I think you send a message to the board by doing what Gary Monk did down at Sutton once, which was playing yeah. Paul Mackay and Billy Whitehouse who, no disrespect to them, looked like your competition winners. Um, yes, and saying, exactly. You know, sign me some players, please. And, and mm. sure enough, we got Mo Barrow and Alfonso Pedraza. God bless them. Um, and so it for, does work. It well, does work. It, it, it certainly can do. It certainly can do. It depends, it depends on your owners. But I, I honestly think once you get into the realms of the, we'll only sign players if they're better than what we've got, you know that things are not going well. Mm. Jack, I mean... To someone like me who doesn't know the really inner workings of how football clubs really work on a day-to-day basis, doing something as childish as like naming two keepers on your bench or putting a midfielder up front for the first game of the season, it's the most childish thing a manager could do. Like, why don't you just go and actually have a proper chat with your owner rather than do this really weird public thing? Yeah, but people in football are really childish (laughs) and they do do... Stupid and petty things as a matter mm, of course. Really petty. Do you remember that famous... I mean, I don't want to call it... Do you remember when um, when Rafa Benitez famously gave a press conference where he, he used the phrase, I'm focused on training and coaching my team. Yes. Like 12 times after that's what I think Hicks and Gillette had told him to, to, to say. You know, I'm a huge fan of Rafa. I think that's very funny. It is also yep. very petty. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think football managers are necessary. You know, 
Uh, and even managers not as in, not as smart as Benitez. I don't think are necessarily beneath that kind of exactly. behaviour. Exactly. So it feels like he should be way above that sort of behaviour, um, unlike many other managers of film. Well, well, Wall looks like uh, at it up at Middlesbrough at the moment. He keeps getting asked about potential signings, and some of them he says, "Yeah, you know that would be good." Some of them he says, "Well, if we're signing them, it's nothing to do with me." And you think, "Well, that's that's a good start." Yeah, sign, <laughs> sign on, on the, the dotted line here. And but it, it is it is definitely true, and you you. You do find those those situations, particularly in press conferences, where little things get said where you think, hmm, yeah, yeah. A, bit, a bit awkward behind the scenes here. So recruitment, I mean, such a, you know, it's such a, that is the kind of key word here now, Jack. It's not, it's not really signing players anymore. It's recruitment has become such an obsession that it has led to the rise of a slightly bland figure in my eyes, which is the sporting director, who have become this sort of oddly important figure either either in their actions or in their absence. Um, but I, I put it to you that just the entire discourse around sporting directors, both in the UK and abroad, is the most boring thing in football. I, I'm almost inclined to say they're complete frauds, but um, but I feel bad about that. Yeah, it seems it's like the... Uh, it's probably the big development in the last five years of, um, you know... It's, it's one thing to idolise Messi, and it's another thing to idolise Guardiola, but the, for the true heads, they they idolise Monchi or Paratici exactly. or whoever. And it's, you know, he, he watches... I don't think Monkey exists. I don't yeah. think Monkey slash Monchi it actually exists. Yeah, but at, at least with Guardiola, at least with, I mean, with Messi, it's obvious what he's good at, and then with Guardiola, it's fairly obvious what he's good at. But when it comes to when it comes to to, to these guys, the arguments like he watches DVDs twenty four seven, he never mm. sleeps. All all he does is take notes, when, and he, he he watches players a thousand times before he signs them. But sometimes he only needs to watch them once, and then he'll just know. Exactly, it's, it's, and it's just like how am I? How, how you you get excited by this? This is meant to be fun. I think if um, if Jukanovic is listening to this, um, he was he he'll concur. He was someone who always made it sound like he wanted to fight Fulham's sporting director constantly. You know, <laughs> irrespective of who they signed or how well it was going, it always sounded like they were one step away from from stepping outside. I mean, on the the. You know, on the subject of sporting directors, you might have to fight Victor Orta. Over I thought you might bring him and, up, your best until, mate. Especially having slated um, Monkey over at Sevilla. Um, and I, you know, I'm telling, I'm warning you now, I, I think Orta is like the Conor McGregor of um, the Conor McGregor of sporting directors. He'd definitely say, you and me, pub car park, seven o'clock tonight. I think we should make it happen. I happily, happily. I mean, I was happy for you to kind of debunk this all sporting directors are frauds theory because that, that's fine. I, it wasn't, I didn't have much to stand it up with. But I mean, until I really dig into this sort of thing, I thought the job of a sporting director consists of only two things. One, smiling awkwardly at UEFA draw ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And two, posing with academy graduates who are putting pen to paper on their first professional contract. Nothing else is required of you except maybe, fundamentally, you're just a plant to get the manager annoyed so you can sack him. Yeah, you, you also have the bonus of being able to walk through town in most situations without anybody knowing who on yes. earth, um, earth you are. Faceless. Uh, but, but then also you have this weird scenario where no, because nobody really understands what you do, sometimes <laughs> yeah, you become the target for the crowd. You know, people just decide that this guy in the background must be causing the problems. Let's, um, right. let's berate him even though we can point him out in the street. It's just massively intangible elements required to do that job. Oh, really, yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Mm. I'm, I'm tempted to Try and take my sporting director badge. There's a long read coming on here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> the Athletic sent Adam Harry to become a sporting director at a League One club and he see was how far up they after, yeah. after a fallout with Neil Warnock. Yeah, how many managers can I unsettle? That would be the, the key. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So speaking of unsettled, Jack, and I know this is this is your recent specialist subject, the next kind of optional extra in a burgeoning club crisis is the want-away star. I feel like it really does enhance a crisis in its early stages because they rarely resolve quickly, they're quite tedious, and they really stretch the whole thing out. Oh, I mean, as someone who spent the last few months covering a story like this, they are astonishingly tedious. A good crisis often starts with a player wanting to leave, even just, just looking at the team that I covered Tottenham, yeah, particularly at the start of the season, Gareth Bale 2013, Luka Modric 2011, and again 2012, uh, Dimitar Berbatov 2008. You need them, you know, the kind of will he, won't he, is he in training, he's not in a fit state to play, Ask the player asking not to play. That kind of thing. It's um, manager getting flustered, getting questions about about why exactly it's happened. It just adds to the air of uh, things are not right here. And of course, it's the kind of thing that doesn't really happen to the very you know biggest and most successful teams generally. Don't have their best players trying to force an exit at the start of the season. And it, and of course, it disrupts the whole the whole planning. So yeah, it's very much a kind of a, a, a classic part of the whole of the rich tapestry of a crisis. Phil, a question for you then: If the saga of a one-to-way star does end up going the way that the club wants, what will that player eventually start doing? Yeah, well, we're talking about Harry Keane here, aren't we? Which is unfortunate because I, I can't really imagine Harry Keane throwing chairs or smashing no. the, the place up. But I, I agree that um, these sagas become more and more boring as they go on. And, and you go yeah. from the initial thought of, ah, they're going to leave to, look, please just sort this out. One way or the other, just just do something. I mean, I, I'm kind of, Far more interested at the moment at looking at the, all the weird pictures of Charlie Kane rather than Harry Kane, who I'd never even really heard of before. Yeah, this, to be quite yeah, honest. it's been a big time for Charlie Kane. Yeah, the, the guy who looks a little bit like Harry Kane, definitely. Yeah, very much yeah. so. I, th- mm. I think there are levels of this. If you um, Harry Kane, you probably cause a little bit of mischief, but it's not in the grand scheme of things. You know, Tottenham will still have, have him back in thirty years' time when they need somebody on the pitch. I think mm. if you if you all had. <laughs> 
there's the potential for more um, more trouble there. Harry, Harry Kane, mm-hmm. I think, is a kind of high-level quality footballer, but low-level one-to-way star because of the lack okay. of friction that there'll be from it, you know. Uh, the answer you were, in fact, looking for was knuckling down. Oh, That's yes. what we want Harry Kane Which he did last night in the Europa Conference League. Well, I mean, does that, how, does that how, qualify as knuckling down? How better to knuckle down than to notch twice against Pachos de Ferreira FC? Yeah. A 3-0 win, putting your team through to the Europa Conference League group stage. Yeah, the, the literal opposite of downing tools Top is scoring a brace against Pachos de Ferreira. Well, if you're going to down tools, that's the time really, isn't it? You know, cause mm. Yeah, nobody's going to hold it against you. Yeah, uh, given that Spurs are trying to get out of that competition, surely. Definitely, you want to down tools in a competition that the BBC website won't even include on their results well, section. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's his. Maybe that's his protest mm. that he's keeping the minute. Because he's sending a message to the yeah. board, they're saying, "I'm, I'm still, yeah, yeah, you still need as me." As long as you hold on to me, we're going to be playing in this conference league. Yeah, exactly. I say so. Yeah, once way style is very much a separate crisis, perhaps, but I still feel vital ingredients. That's stage three. I'll move you on now, Phil, to stage four. A less important aspect, but still I feel adds a little bit of spice, which is the opening day defeat. Because it because it sets the tone. Because mm. opening days are supposed to be hope and dreams. But um if but if you lose your opening day, especially in a in a particularly spectacular way, I'm thinking Manchester United losing against Aston Villa in nineteen ninety five, which obviously didn't turn out to be a crisis. Or Chelsea losing to Burnley uh, on the first day of their title defence in 2017. There's, 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 an, there's a unique sense of chaos about losing on the opening day is what I'm trying oh, to say. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking Leeds away at Southampton in 2011. And, and you knew that the promotion bid was already going well when the crowd were singing to Bates, you Chelsea bastard, get out of our club <laughs> um, at, at 3-0 down. Oh, yeah. Great. no, and, and it, But that has to follow, I think, a depressing summer. So that was the summer where a few weeks earlier Leeds had been turned over at Burnley. And I think the first signing of the summer had been Paul Rahubka from Blackpool. Um, And, you know, a second choice keeper was definitely what was, you know, what was needed to to improve that team. Um, So, yeah, no, I I think that is absolutely fundamental part of the crisis. It's got to go badly from the start. Mm. But the thing with an opening day defeat, Jack, is that obviously it's the kind of everything that's gone wrong in preseason comes to fruition in this in this public display of ineptitude. Your your new signings, whether they've actually arrived or not, haven't impressed. But unfortunately, you you have to assume that fans haven't turned up to the opening day with their banners yet. So even the fans are unprepared for this. The classic one I've got written down here is actually an opening day draw, and this is from. The Mourinho season, like all my best examples. Chelsea 2, Swansea City 2, 2015-16 mm. season. The Iba Carnero row game. Oh, yes. Which which yes. very much set the tone for all the madness that was to come in the next five months at Chelsea, but was not itself a defeat. If you want a classic, a classic shock defeat in which the team plays very badly and it's clear they're going to be shit all season, it can only be... Arsenal 1, Paul Lambert's Aston Villa 3. Oh, I also had that, yes. Uh, Antonio Luna, I think, might even have scored twice. Yeah. This was a two, few weeks before Arsenal signed Meza Ozil. Their only summer signing was Yaya Sonogo. 60,000 Arsenal fans singing Spend Some Fucking Money. Classic, 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 late era, <laughs> late era Wenger. Arsenal in this perma-crisis that lasted from about 2010 to 2018. And, um, yeah, this was... Uh, my abiding memory, my abiding memory of that game was one Villa goal scorer having just the entirety of the Arsenal half to himself. Antonio Luna, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I mean, yeah, hasn't done anything else in his career other than being the symbol of an early season Arsenal crisis. So, yeah, basically a little bit of seasoning for a crisis, but not absolutely crucial. But Phil, I would put it to you that the next one is very much the cornerstone of a good crisis. If this doesn't happen, 
you can't really call it a crisis. And that's the Carabao Cup upset. Oh, now, you see, I don't know, because I was looking at your tweets earlier in the week when mm. you were predicting badly the, that the results well, of, the, it? Yeah. of the second round. Yeah, yeah. Um, although you did get 3-0 leads against Crew, so, so good on oh. you. But you were saying about, I think, Norwich-Bournemouth. You said it'll be a Bournemouth win. People will half-heartedly call it an upset, but nobody cares. Mm. And I kind of think that's where we are with the League Cup. Right. these days it, I, I don't know it, it doesn't scream crisis to me because there are all manner of way in which you can deflect and disguise and pretend that you want actually actually well, trying really wouldn't you well I mean yes you're absolutely right on paper but this is the, this is the thing about a crisis we will we will we will take any any kind of oh, yeah. opportunity we can to turn the screw so even if it is like a you know 10 changes 18 year old up front defeat against a team who happens to be one division below you it doesn't matter doesn't matter it's artificial crisis deepening it's the candorel in the football crisis tea isn't it uh, it doesn't matter because that's, that's no one will remember true, what the team selection was they'll just remember that you lost in the in the third round of the carabao cup against a team who are division below you that's all that matters well, I suspect after Colchester battered Norwich with Brian Gunn, do you remember that? I can imagine the Carabao Cup the week after that. It would have been, what, the Carling Cup back then? I can, can imagine that being a bit uh, a bit tetchy. Yeah, sort of thing that could drag you down, although I suspect he'd gone by then, had he not? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that was yeah. that was definitely. I mean, hapless. I mean, that was that was season ticket throwing day, and it has yes. to be said that you know, if, if we're talking crises, that is um, that's peak crisis. That. Oh, we're, yeah, we're getting on to season ticket throwing in depth <laughs> later on, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the Carabao Jack. I mean, I suppose there is there is an opportunity. You know, alternatively, there is the Carabao does offer you the opportunity of a crisis. What crisis moment, which is equally artificial, equally bullshit. It does. I just wanted. I wanted. I wanted to take this opportunity to mention what I think a classic crisis we haven't touched on yet, which is the class, which is the crisis that was Roy Hodgson's Liverpool, who delivered one of the one of the great what was then the Carling Cup upsets, uh, going out on pens at home to Northampton, <laughs> at Anfield, oh, yeah. and the team with uh, Jones, Agger, Kyriakos, Danny Wilson, Martin Kelly, Danny Pacheco, Lucas Spearing, Jovanovic, Ryan Babel, and David and Gog. And this I hate, was, I hate how much research Pitt Brook has done here. It's incredible. What I love about what I love about the Hodgson crisis is that it was it's like a big you know it's a big club crisis, but there was I kind of feel like with the big Chelsea crises, the the fans didn't really turn on Mourinho in either instance that much. Maybe because of the credit he had in the bank with them, I'm not sure. Um, whereas. The Liverpool fans' hatred of Roy Hodgson gave an extra spice to <laughs> the Hodgson crisis. Plus, of course, the owners, Hicks and Gillette, it was a really bad time for the club in general. But it's a um, Hodgson at Liverpool is definitely a classic crisis. I think as well, that's a, a good example of how the scale of crises differ. And I always think that, you know, it's at its worst when the crowd can't decide who to hate most whether it's the players or whether it's the owner, whether it's the, the coach. I've seen a few of them at Leeds. And you write about Hodgson. I, I suspect not the players, but between him and the um, him and the board, it was a case of who do, who do we throw tomatoes at? Phil, yeah. that's now called the Everton dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it precipitates a crisis if the manager has basically no money in the bank with the fans from the start. I mean, we're yeah. not talking about a club legend here. So Hodgson was kind of on a hiding to nothing. Yeah. yeah, he really was. So... Let's set the scene. We, we've had a woeful preseason. Transfer window targets have not been secured. You want, you, your biggest player wants to leave. You've lost on the opening day. You've probably gone out the Carabao Cup as well. So that all leads to perhaps the, the core of a club crisis, the real turning point, the real, 
the, the business end begins here, Phil, and that's dressing room unrest. Oh, losing yeah. the dressing room is a concept. The first thing I think of when, when I hear the phrase losing the dressing room is just a manager sort of stood there having done you know, a week's worth of preparation for a game. He's sleeping in the office, you know, to, you know, working around the clock to try and turn this around and none of the players are listening to him. It's like okay, just having loads of two-year-olds not doing what you're telling them. I, I sort of more imagine that he comes in to talk to the dressing room and it's really quiet and nobody's giving him eye mm. contact. And, you know, when he mm. asks questions, like that thing at school when you're all in trouble, nobody bothers answering it. It's like, oh, right. just, everyone keep quiet and eventually he'll, he'll go away. But you're right, there, there has to be dressing room unrest. Otherwise, clubs are just able to paint this picture of unity, which nobody believes, yeah. but you can't, yeah. um, you know, you can't contradict it because you don't have... You don't have somebody who's desperately trying to get the manager sacked um, mm. and um, and grassing on him to the to the owner. So yeah, no, I, but I I yeah, I have pictures of everybody just staring at the floor as he's trying to do this Churchillian speech and people yeah. going, hmm, nah, no, come on, jog on, mate. Jack, can you imagine how crushing it must be to have everyone who works underneath you just not giving a shit about anything you say? I know, yeah, knowing that they don't care and knowing that they don't need to care and just when you think about it like that, it, I imagine that the situations where the players are really invested in what the manager says, that sounds like a much more rare thing, doesn't mm-hmm. it? To have what we've just described is surely much more common within football yeah. than having a kind of clop. Pochettino, Guardiola, Bielsa type situation where the players are hanging on the manager's every word. That now strikes me as being really kind of fantastical. Yeah, what what managers want is is this the dream scenario where the players sort of in their autobiographies about fifteen years later say, Do you know what? Everything he said about the match came true. He said we were gonna win one nil from a corner in the twenty third minute, and we did. We couldn't believe it. That's what a manager wants. That's the dream scenario. Again, I, it's pretty much Mourinho. I, I remember a few of the players at Leeds saying that um Hockaday used to talk a lot about the crudes. I've never seen the film, but some, something to do with like family unity and this that and Oh, and all, no. they all used to sit about and go, What the fuck is this guy on about? Yeah, you know, what, weird. What Weird techniques from managers uh-huh. never seem to go down well. Unless, of course, when they do and they win and then they become this kind of quirky, cool thing that they did to, to win a round. So you really can't win as a manager. It's, yeah, it's, it's, but it's, it's, it's like just permanently balancing on the cliff, isn't it? And eventually that stuff is going to lead to... So we've established now that, it, that, that you know losing a dressing room is obviously quite easy, Jack. And uh, what spills out of this is the questioning of managers' methods... Now, there are some very precise things that get questioned. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's an obsession of mine. Ketchup. I mean, if you were if you were a Premier League player, do you want ketchup or do you not want ketchup? Do you care? The correct answer to that is the opposite of what the, of what the last guy did. If the last manager was a ketchup guy, it's no ketchup. If the last manager was a no ketchup guy, it's ketchup. What a huge moment that must be in the in the team canteen, Phil. Uh, if you if you are indeed working in there, bit proudly pouring out the ketchup into the uh, into the well, uh, maybe receptacle. you keep it in the cupboard and it's a sign of protest that when it comes it out, you're, well. saying, you're saying to the manager, right, you've had it now, you know, we're, we're back on this. They tell me that footballers like sweet chili sauce as well, and I can't. I have to be honest, I've never looked at the um, nutritional value on the back of the bottle, but that can't be good for you, is it? That's full of sugar. M- maybe yeah, that is the ultimate sugar. protest. You know, yeah. and players get on the sweet chilli sauce, like, right, yes. you know, had enough. I want to see sweet chilli sauce in an athletic long read headline before <laughs> the end of this year. Uh, Consider yeah, it much, much sexier than ketchup for a start. <laughs> the questioning of methods is always, it's basically the inverse of that stage at the start of the season when a, when a team's doing well and everyone's trying to find out why they're doing well. Everyone does these stories which are saying... You know, yoga, handshake, and WhatsApp banter. How manager <laughs> A has reinvigorated team X this season. 
And then when they're then when they're in a crisis, like you know they've got out the Carabao Cup and everything, it's just yep. the adverse of that, isn't it? It's mm. how no yoga, no handshakes, and no WhatsApp banter has <laughs> sunk Team oh, X yeah. season. Yeah, absolutely. No. It's, it's absolutely. like it, it'd be it'd be like this with with Bielsa. It'd be my pieces of how you know endless training um, is is made leads this um you know incredible team, and then at the end how how, how and relentless training has left them completely fucked. This is and it. Be, yeah. you know, like, Leeds yeah. are going to be in crisis inevitably. I mean, Leeds are due a crisis. Is clearly, Phil, but uh, their yeah, 2022 we... 23 crisis will be Calvin Phillips just cannot, he can't handle Bielsa's workload anymore. He's sick of it. And Works even, if, too even if that's not true, that's what we'll, we'll write anyway because it's, yeah. it's just easier that way. I mean, <laughs> to good. be honest, leads, leads out of crisis is, and I know none of us have experience of this, but it's a bit like retiring to the Caribbean where suddenly you need to climatize to. You know, not being on, not being on edge constantly, and and yeah, Chilino not ringing you at two in the morning. Mm, absolutely, yeah. So yeah, you can work your players too hard. You can work your players too little. In Mourinho at Spurs's case, Jack. Yeah, well, I was going to say that was a classic example. Was the under Pochett, almost exactly what Phil just said under Pochettino. The hard work made Spurs good, but until the hard work made Spurs bad, and then with Mourinho, <laughs> the kind of relaxed attitude to training made Spurs good until mm. the relaxed attitude to training made Spurs mm. bad. So basically, I mean, like, I, I, hope, I hope I haven't undermined the whole, you know, principle of uh, football journalism in an instant. But uh, possibly it does. You know, let he who has not written a trivial story where getting pointless details to explain greater trends cast the first stone. I, I think I think what you what you're saying is you can understand why a lot of managers would like to fight us. <laughs> yes, yes. Ke- bottle of ketchup in hand. <laughs> I, I, I want to see a graph of complicated uh, medical cardiovascular data of footballers alongside a line of ketchup consumption. And I, I bet one day we'll find that they actually tally up or are inversely proportional. And, and that will be the key to all football crises forever. Well, we've disgraced ourselves in La Manga. We've fallen out with our fashionable sporting director. We've cracked our badge. We've downed our tools. We've crashed out of the Carabao and we've lost our tomato ketchup. That's it for part one of the 12 stages of a club crisis. We'll be back with you on Thursday with our laminated A4 banners of protest for part two. See you then. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.